You're listening to The Remix Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It's another episode of Three Makes Baby, and I am here with Kyle. Kyle is half-sibling to a couple of other guests that have been on the show and a male voice, which is cool, and he's going to share his story with us. And so, Kyle, thanks, thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be on the show. Going back to the beginning, sort of, you know, like what did you, um, as a child, like how did, what did you know about donor conception? What was that like? I learned about it as early as it was something that I could comprehend. Um, my mom was very progressive about letting me know all those details uh, early on. Do you have a memory of it being told? Yeah, actually, uh, she she kind of like led me through to the bureau where she had these documents and was like, you know, this is a document about your father. Um, we've got some details on him, um, but it's like an anonymous donor process. And so we've got this limited amount of information and you can find out some things about him. So I do remember seeing that yellow piece of paper um, with some details about who he was and what he was like. And it was, it was really cool. I mean, I got to find out, you know, the color of his eyes and what his educational background was and what his hobbies were. And yeah. so from a very young age, um, I could feel as if I knew him, at least to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, and I never really grew up with any sort of stigma about it. Yeah. And how old were you when she told you? I, I think I was around five years old. Oh, wow. And you remember it. Yeah. Yeah. This was very early on. Yeah. And then you, you mentioned your mom. Is it, do you have a single mom or a single mother? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and then do you have any siblings? I don't have any siblings. No. Okay. So raised uh, you and your mom and then she, you have this early memory of her telling you and have, you know, even seeing the sheet of paper and, you know, at that moment and, you know, did you have any, at that moment, do you remember having any questions about it or you're just kind of taking it in? I, I took it in with a lot of curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that I really went through much of a phase where I wished I had a father. Um, and I think being like being informed about the process early on really helped with that. Because um, I was able to process it internally and externally, uh, I would bring it up on the playground as a kid. I remember bringing it up sometimes, and mm -hmm. I never really faced any flack for it. You know, I didn't get made fun of for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that was just <laughs> kids that age didn't really understand what it meant. Yeah. Um, so there, there wasn't necessarily a model or even a stereotype or a stigma to lean on to make fun of me. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, that's kind of cool. You know? And I was like, yeah, I'm a test tube baby. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you, that means. Yeah. So you use that term and that was more, more known. And then this was when you had these memories of talking about it in school, how old were you? Yeah, this was really early on uh, elementary school age. Yeah. It's true. Kids that age are really great about just, they just accept things as they are. They're very yeah. accepting in general. It's not until those middle school years that social comparisons begin. And yeah. then the questions of, Oh, you're different. Why are you different? Start to happen. Did that happen for you then? 
or did people know you by then and know enough and not, not question it? Yeah, I was pretty lucky. I think that I had processed it enough on my own before middle school. So I didn't have to exactly publicly process it and go through a second round of um, comparison or judgment. It really didn't come up that often. You know, and if it did come up with a friend, it was just a curiosity, I think more than anything, mm-hmm. you know, and it might've also helped in a way that I had a single mother. Um, Cause then there weren't any questions about, you know, fatherhood. It just made okay. sense. Like, oh, you're, you have a single mother and this is how that was able to happen. This is why that was possible yeah. she went through this process. Yeah. What part of the country uh, did you grow up in? You can just give general. East coast. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. And so, so yeah, so that's great. So you didn't have, and did you go through kind of through the same school? Um, the I, whole time? I started in public school mm-hmm. and then I got a scholarship to a nice private school in fourth grade and I okay. finished um, through graduation there. Great. Yeah. And you know, I don't, about how old are you now? If you don't mind sharing. 25. Okay. And so you're 25 and, and you, you know, you're going through middle school, you get to high school. That's the place where, you know, you're doing that identity development. You're really trying to figure out who you are. Did it come up then at all for you? Like questions about, you know, your identity and what you might have in common with him or where you might have gotten certain traits? It was always something that I was curious about, you know, that nur- nature versus nurture debate. Sure. Yeah. And I think that it was toward the end of high school where my mom discovered the donor sibling registry and signed okay. up for that. That's when things started to get more interesting. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, it had been very private. You know, we had this sheet, we had a little bit of information. My mom knew about it. I knew about it. And we weren't directly connected to the rest of the family, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, But once we got on that registry, things really opened up and we started meeting other parents. My mom got to connect with the other parents and see their different experiences and their different reasons for going through the process. And we even had a little meetup. I got to meet some of my siblings. Yeah. Um, How was that? It was trippy. Yeah. It would be to see another guy who had the same ridiculous cowlick as me and <laughs> walked the same way down the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I bet. I mean, especially that, you know, you weren't raised with him, so you weren't, you know, you didn't see him before. And then kind of that mirror, yeah. mirroring, right? Mirroring of yeah. your traits. Did you enjoy that? Did you have overall positive feelings about Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I got to gain a family. It's been very positive mm-hmm. for me. Um, And I've seen other experiences that have been less positive. Mm. Um, I think primarily around, you know, when and how things were revealed Mm -hmm. um, that changed the way the experience went for the kids. Okay. But especially because I knew from such a young age, it was already part of my identity. Yeah. I didn't have to make room for it or have an identity crisis later in life. I already had this as part of my identity. So there wasn't an adjustment that needed to be made. Mm -hmm. And when I got to meet, other siblings, it was, it was just a gift. You know, Mm -hmm. I got to see, oh, wow, these are some traits that we have in common. So I can now explain, you know, there's our head shape. There's our shared love of languages and, oh, wow, there's a whole bunch of biologists among us. We all love animals. Like there's something to this. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and that brings up a good point because even when I first started this work 10 years ago, most people that came to me, most parents that were going to use a donor, 
came to me before their treatment and said that they did not want to tell their child. Uh, through education and things, I, I tried to encourage them to reconsider and to be open to being open. And that wasn't always met with <laughs> very happy responses, but yeah. you know, it was a bit of a struggle. But even today, um, I spoke with a client who did not want to tell their child and were planning to keep it a secret and actually had even a contract drafted up from the donors. Um, and it was an independent situation that mm. they wanted to keep this a secret. Um, so how do you respond or what would your words of wisdom be for parents that are out there thinking, we haven't told yet. We don't want to keep, we want to keep this a secret because their reasoning was, is that they thought it would be, they'd get picked on, they'd get teased, they'd be harmed, you know, some, some way, if, if people knew the truth, they would be treated differently. And so their intentions were to protect their child. But what would you say to that? No, I don't think it does the child any good for being a certain kind of baby, a secret. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how this differs for you know, adopted children or other means, um, but speaking for myself, you know, as a child, the product of IVF, I was benefited greatly from knowing from a very early age. Like I said, it was already part of my identity. I didn't have to go through a crisis of learning a new thing about myself and a new thing about my family at some later date where a secret was discovered. Mm -hmm. And now having the additional perspective of some of my sibling stories, I've been able to see that, yeah, it can cause problems mm -hmm. if you find out later. Um, I've even seen situations where I think we had two siblings where one found out by accident mm. and then confronted the mother and the mother didn't want them to share with the other sibling. And so then you had deception wow. in the mix and one sibling had to lie to the other and not share what they found out mm. and not get to process that you know, as siblings together. Mm. Um, I think that keeping the secret causes way more problems than it solves. I really do not think it's for the child's benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think what I talk about is in my book is that oftentimes a parent's initial desires to keep it a secret have more to do with their own lack of acceptance mm -hmm. and unresolved unfinished business around their infertility and yeah. having not been able to achieve to make achieve children the way they initially planned um, yeah. and having to go through so much struggle and grief and loss and pain. And then there's other factors. There's social and cultural factors. There's family, you know, dynamics in play. So there's lots of different things, but I like that you say that flat out. No, don't keep it a secret. Um, it's mo what most experts agree to is to, you know, don't keep it a secret because in the long term, it protects your family to be honest um, from betrayal, feelings of betrayal. And yeah. And it's interesting how you've seen that in your own sibling group because, you know, you're part of a group, the same sibling group as Emma and mm -hmm. Allie P yeah. And, um, yeah, and that's, so that just to remind anybody who's listening, that's a group of, um, so far of like maybe over 70, over 70 of us, over 70. Yeah. We are and, statistically significant. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you are. And the fact that you're so well connected is really cool. I love so, it. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, I understand. I, I think it probably does stem mostly from the parents. Um, my mom had an easier time, I would think 
than, you know, a father and a mother where they're dealing with infertility um, because the alternative to telling me wasn't less stigmatized. You know, it would be a little odd to not know where I came from. Um, yeah. So it wasn't that my mom was dealing with issues of infertility or um, her own crisis in that regards. So I don't think that she necessarily faced the same pressures um, when it came to deciding whether or not to tell me. And yeah. philosophically, she was always very open with me. And if I asked a question about something, she would just give me the answer or say, you know, are you sure you want to know this now? Because if you do, I'll tell you. Um, and I appreciated that approach. Certainly, mm -hmm. there's more to process you know, if, you're, if you're dealing with infertility. Yeah, lots of losses. So, well, going back to when you met some of your half-siblings, what was mm -hmm. the biggest surprise? Uh, like you mentioned, um, you know, one of your half-siblings walked the way you did. <laughs> was that the biggest surprise or were there other surprises that, of these genetic traits that, that you shared in common? I know you mentioned something about uh, what you're all interested in. We have a lot of patterns, that's for sure. I think there's at least mm -hmm. 10 biologists in the mix, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. A lot of language learners, a lot of travelers. Um, it was, the whole experience was very surprising. I mean, you're meeting a sibling for the first time, mm -hmm. and not just one, but several at once. And so I went from not knowing what came from my father to being able to see you know, a spread of here are my father's characteristics and okay, that's probably where you get the nose and there's your, you know, their head shape and oh look, we have kind of similar body shapes and everyone's interested in animals. And these things started to come together where mm -hmm. all of a sudden I had more context and more examples of my own identity. I think it probably expanded my identity. Um, yeah. meeting those other siblings and seeing yes. little parts of myself reflected. Um, I, I, one thing that's really interesting to me, though, is you know, in that nature versus nurture debate, my personal theory is that a lot of the similarities between us come from our parents being moms who really, really, really wanted to have us. Mm. You know, and we're all, I think we're pretty much all around the East Coast most of us around the east coast area so we have a cohort in demographics mm -hmm. that probably leads to a lot of our similarities mm -hmm. we all had moms who really wanted to have us and really emphasized education mm. you know education was a huge part of a lot of our lives i mm -hmm. we have a spreadsheet <laughs> that shows yeah. information about you know where we are and what we're studying and our career plans and hobbies and things like that and it is representative of our donor sibling group. That's for sure. It is not a cross section of America. You know? mm. I think in America, you have something like 30% of the population goes to college, but in our donor sibling group, it's the vast majority um, wow. going to some form of higher education. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that that's the only way to go about doing things, but there's definitely these strong patterns mm -hmm. that I'm seeing. And I've always been very curious to know, like, how much of that is, is genetics and how much of that is our parents and situations that they all found themselves in somewhere around the 90s when they really wanted to have a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that your donor had a high GPA. I remember that from, yeah. um, from Emma. And then 
that, so they valued education, they valued in, you know, intelligence. And so it almost sounds like a hybrid of both genetics and environment. So they valued it and, and you knew that. And some of you that knew about the donor knew that also, but the, still the families valued that. So that's, that's really interesting. That's yeah. true. Our parents chose, I think they got to see some details about who they were picking. Mm-hmm. And so they chose someone who was, you know, a PhD with mm-hmm. high GPA. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that reflected their values. It did. It did. Absolutely. You know, it's, we can't really draw any one conclusion from it. Can we can't, we can't say it's absolutely this or it's absolutely that. And I think that's, what's really tempting is when people are listening to this and they're hearing that, Oh, well it is the families and it is the genetics. And sometimes we tend to hear what we want to hear and we listen for just one part of it. But I think it's really important to emphasize that it's both. It's both. Oh, Absolutely. And Absolutely. so if you're a parent listening, you know, know that it's both, that genetics still play into this. It is, it, we cannot be, dis, we cannot dismiss genetics. Um, but at the same time, we cannot dismiss environment. And like you said, we nurture, we cannot dismiss that at all. It's both. And to have both of those to, like you said, I love how you said it expanded your identity mm-hmm. because you could then see those more of those nature parts of you reflected in other people that mirroring in the other people your half siblings yeah it kind of takes some pressure off of me when i think about what paths i want to pursue in life yeah i mean this is a little harder to to explain that it's not like there are other me's it's just that i'm part of a bigger group Mm -hmm. and some of us are focused on different things so i might have a passion that i wish i could spend more time on um, but it gets, you know, sidetracked a lot or mm-hmm. put on the back burner. But then I can look and see that one of my siblings is spending their life on that. Wow. And that's mm-hmm. really cool. I think it takes some of the onus off me to do everything. Mm-hmm. It's like your tribe <laughs> in a way, you know, your tribe. Explore. Yeah. It's yeah. A tribe. That's so true. And it speaks to what it means to feel part of a tribe. You can see the other people that are doing the things that you might want to do too. Um, you have a little bit more definition in, in your place in the world. And I think that's, you, you can see the parts of you that are truly you by nature. And those are, are validated for you. And they give you a clearer path and a clearer understanding of yourself. And yeah. I think I know that Danny Shapiro, who wrote Inheritance, and I don't know if you read her book, but she, I've said this before, she said that knowing her, getting to meet her donor brought her a sense of comfort Mm. for the rest of her life. Just that familiarity that Mm -hmm. she knew where she came from. A lot of donor conceived and adoptees do enjoy those sibling um, reunions. Usually they're your peers rather than their parent figure or an older generation. Um, And so you have more in common. So, and then you don't have to compete necessarily. You know, yeah. you're not, you don't feel a divided loyalty between your parents that raise you, your parents and the genetic um, or biological birth parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Half siblings can be just, in, just an easier um, connection to make. And it's yeah. a privilege knowing each other. And uh, maybe one of my other siblings talked about this already, but we found the identity of our father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He moved that, to Denmark, right? <laughs> yeah. I think he lived in Austin and Norway and seems like a really cool guy. I was very relieved mm-hmm. when I saw Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, him. talk to me about that fear. Like there's a, those moments before 
you are about to find out who this person is because I can understand that too. I never thought that I'd actually get to find out. Um, There wasn't a a lot of anticipation built up or fear around that. Um, And the moment that I found out, I was in a class in grad school um, and about to present on some prototype that we'd been designing for a class Mm -hmm. project. And I just see this notification on my phone and you know, a minute later, I'm looking at the Facebook profile of my dad, who I've never seen before. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm freaking out yeah. in class. You know, we're all standing around giving each other feedback, and I'm, I'm quaking in my boots. Yeah. <laughs> say, like, I just found out who my father was. Mm. So anyway, here's my presentation. You know, like, let me just sit and process this for a second. Oh, um, my gosh. There, there wasn't a lot of fear or apprehension because I had no idea. And I wasn't expecting to find anything out. Um, so getting to find out was just, it was like bonus. It was just extra. You know, there wasn't a, Did you wonder about him? Yeah, I wondered about him from time to time. But it just, I knew that they were anonymous. And mm. we had been provided with the information that they gave. And that was that. That was that, um, yeah. We had, I think there was a process in place where you can request to reach out when you're 18, something like that. Um, mm. That I was never terribly interested in i think i didn't have any expectation that if i were to find out there would be any sort of obligation on the guy you know Mm -hmm. so i didn't have an expectation in place for like well if i discover this person then we better be having brunch every month you know (laughs) like i'm not gonna put any sort of responsibility on them because they already their role happened a long time ago you know it got me born (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's that was the extent of it so getting to find out was just bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Did you ever wonder why he donated? I still wonder. You do? <laughs> yeah. I still wonder. I still don't know a whole lot about that process. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that there was some sort of limit on how many kids were supposed to come from one donor. Yeah. And I'm not so sure. I know. <laughs> since there are over 70 of us, I, I have some questions around that. And what yeah. the process was. Well, the process <laughs> wasn't followed. You know, there was this this secrecy created created room for abuse of the system. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's unfortunate. And that's that's something that I think speaking out about it, talking about it, raising awareness about it will help eliminate is some of the you know, we want to increase transparency in these yeah in this field and the agencies with the clinics, there needs to be really good transparency because these are human lives and families. And it's kind of surprising to know that there is lack of, there has been historically such a lack of transparency. Yeah. I I saw that documentary three perfect strangers Mm -hmm. a while ago. And I think that was, you know, a scandal around adoption sourcing um, with a lot of, deception involved and Mm -hmm. i I can imagine the monetary incentives being there here as well posing Mm -hmm. an issue so i definitely have some (laughs) curious questions around um some of that backstory yeah yeah it's um and there's some documentaries out too um about donor conception and i i feel like there's almost 
I'm hearing about it almost constantly from clients and podcast guests of new documentaries that are out there that you can watch. So I like really need to start a running list, yeah. and, you know, cause, cause that's, I think it's really good. Just keep informed. And there's lots of people talking about it in different ways. Yeah. And yeah, certainly there's been corruption and, you know, historically an adoption too. And adoption started with secrecy as well. They were in yeah. back in the fifties and prior to adoption was very secretive. No one was supposed to talk about it and the child wasn't supposed to know. It was, you know, very shame-based decisions based on the culture um, and at, at the time. But, you know, that doesn't, that hurts the child most of all. It hurts the family too. It hurts the parents. Carrying a secret and a burden like that is, is painful. Um, and a lot of parents end up being somebody they don't want to be. They don't want to be a deceptive person. They're not. They're an right. honest person and they end up doing that. Ones. Yeah. And so they don't feel good about that. So, it, but especially back to the child, it really for the child, it, they internalize the shame and like, what's wrong with me? Why is this a secret? What did I do wrong? We learn shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. We learn shame and we, um, internalize it and kids, they're egocentric. So they think the world revolves around them. So little kids think that they caused everything. So yeah. they, that's why they take responsibility for divorces and for other things that bad that happen. They think they caused it because they, they only know themselves. Right. Just they're very much oriented that way. So I think um, that's important for parents to hear too, is that when you, kids will pick up on that and then they'll think that there's something wrong with them. And that can be tough. That's a really tough thing to overcome. No, I'm, I'm pro eliminating shame and judgment and increasing transparency. Well, I kind of want to go back for a sec to sure. as a child. Um, my mom wanted more kids she had an incredible struggle to get me. I was, mm -hmm. I think, her fifth attempt. Um, so yeah. she dealt with a lot of trauma on the path to getting a child, having a child. Mm -hmm. And when she had me, she wanted more. She wanted me to have siblings as well. Um, she was, I think, she was 38 when she had me. Mm -hmm. um, so having another biological child became less of an option after mm -hmm. me. But she looked into adoption and, you know, found it to be prohibitively expensive. But I do remember some years in my life where I had a little building excitement because I knew that my mom was interested in getting a sibling. I was interested in having a sibling or two. Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't go anywhere. Um, and I don't think that there was, like, a for me at least, there wasn't a terrible dramatic moment or anything crashing down in terms of disappointment. Um, I was pretty okay. But... That was something that I, I kind of anticipated, and that would have been a really interesting dynamic, I think, to have to be an IVF child and then have adopted siblings. That yeah. would have been interesting. That would have uh, been interesting for you. Yeah, I, I would have. I would have loved that. Mm -hmm. um, especially like in retrospect, I know I would have loved it because even though we might mostly be social media friends, we don't really see each other a whole lot having these siblings is such a gift mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's something that I hope becomes an increasing part of my life, you mm -hmm. know, not something that diminishes over time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, back to today, just in the past few weeks, we've had something really cool happen. One of our people, one of our siblings um, put together an Instagram page to share our story and yes. share the login credentials. So we've got donor mm -hmm. 1002, uh, mm -hmm. as an Instagram page with our story on it. And I think it's so cool. <laughs> I mean, 
Let me ask you, I, I know that is so cool. And I've been, I've been liking all the posts because um, I believe, because Emma told me about it and before we actually recorded. And um, I just now made the connection. Is that your donor's number? Yeah. Okay. There you yeah. go. Some okay. of us have 1002 tattooed on us. Nice. Okay. Wow, you do. 1002. Yeah. So, and does, do you know, does he know that was his number? I assume he yeah. does at this point. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. My mom asked me kind of nervously a few weeks back if she should friend him on Facebook, friend the father on Facebook. Yeah. Did she? Like, yeah, absolutely. Do it. You uh-huh. know, he's taking this whole thing in stride. He's pretty chill about it all. And so Is she friended him uh-huh. and he took it in stride. So a lot of our parents are friends with him. A lot of us are friends with him. I think some of us even got to meet him. Mm-hmm. Um, some, yeah. some of us were doing some traveling and um, made a little detour to meet him. Yeah. I think Allie met him. So. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. I wonder when my turn will be. I know. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be great to just do that. Yeah. Great throughout the process, you know, and I guess we get some credit too for not placing a lot of pressure on him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did get inundated at, for, for a little oh, while yeah. as we were finding out and, and all of a sudden he had dozens of kids reaching out to him. I know. I'd love to talk love to him. Yeah. I wonder if he'd ever be willing to, you know, to talk on the podcast. Oh, we should poke him and try and send him your way. Yeah. Be- yeah. It would just be now that we've heard from you, it'd be so interesting to hear his perspective. I mean, from what I have gathered uh, from your half siblings that I've spoken to is that he you know, did not anticipate this many, obviously, and that he, you know, just wasn't maybe, this is very much common still today and back then, um, just wasn't well-informed, wasn't as fully informed, I guess, as to the potential and then, or was told something different, you know, was told there would be a limitation and then there wasn't that limitation. So, yeah, which, you know, it's, it sort of is what it is. I know that there's, like you said, like we would talk about transparency and better regulation, but at the same time, I know many of you are, would think, well, if it was limited, then I maybe wouldn't be me or wouldn't be here today. So it's kind of a hard, right. you know, when I've asked some donor can see, they're like, well, I don't, I don't mind it. Cause I w- I'm here. So <laughs> it is kind of a tough, tough thing to question to ask, you know? And maybe we would just be children of different donors. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. It is kind of cool having such a large group. I mean, there's (laughs) at least novelty in that. And and the fact that we can see such clear patterns because there are over 70 of us to to look through. Yeah, Um, the spreadsheet is fascinating to me. I'd love to see it. Yeah, so it's just, I think it's like what the future brings is is so interesting because you've got kids someday and grandkids and, you know, you have this this family really that starts exponentially growing. Right. Do you, um, do you ever have any concerns, at least if not for you, if in the future of, of, you know, inadvertently, uh, you know, meeting or running into, or, you know, crossing paths with a relative that a genetic relative that you didn't know was your relative or like, I know this is way out in the future, but like maybe grandkids that might not know or, you know, know who each other is to a certain extent with technology. You can, you can, you know, That's hold that question. data. Mm-hmm. That's a great, I hadn't thought about the kids running into each other angle before I thought about us running into each other. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not really worried about us running into each other too much, especially because we look <laughs> really darn similar. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and because we're keeping track of each other. You know, we're doing that job. I think that's very important. And another reason why it's so important to be transparent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can eliminate some some risk there. But yeah. kids running into each other, that's a really interesting point. I hadn't even, you know, thought about that before, but that tells me that it's really valuable for us to maintain this connection mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know keep the contact sheet growing. Because yeah. um, we're based in a similar geographic area mm-hmm. and we're likely to keep bumping into each other. I know several of us live in the, in the same cities. Um, some of us have gone to the same schools. I have run into at least one sibling at a school. Oh, wow. Um, so it is wow. a Wow. Yeah. It's a small world. So then you can imagine like your kids and your half sibling siblings' kids would be genetic Mm-hmm. cousins and maybe yeah. social cousins too if you choose whoever chooses right. to be say hey you know i want to call you uncle or aunt um oh, but at least yeah. <laughs> yeah but at the very least genetic cousins and so in and so then you've got you know again potential of dating or you know whatever it may be which yeah that's i guess always been a question throughout human history especially when you have smaller um, societies smaller populations mm-hmm. um and I guess we have the inverse. We have kind of a larger population. Yeah. <laughs> Smaller geographic area. Mm-hmm. So definitely important to keep up the contact sheet and, and make sure that we know who we are. I think mm-hmm. that's a great argument for us, uh, us keeping this relationship going and um, keeping tabs and keeping each other updated for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean... At the same time, though, there's not really a family that doesn't theoretically face that. You know, if you have extended family. Oh, for sure. Cousins, yeah. Um, Down the line, especially. The longer sure. you go, the less it matters, right? The less. Exactly. So it's not such an issue. And it may not even be an issue, right? It just, again, it's sort of just something to think about that people maybe haven't thought about. And um, and again, maybe in the future, we'll, we will have DNA technology is going to continue to advance. So maybe we will, it'll be to the point where we're going to know our DNA and we're going to be able to, you know, identify it in a way and share that with people uh, about it. I know there's some people that are dating now that have anonymous donors, you know, their parents are thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to have to um, ask or at least tell their, you know, that gets tricky. It's like, do you have to talk about it when you're first dating someone? Do you have to tell them that you were donor conceived and that, you know, it was an anonymous donor and you're not sure? That's kind of a whole other area. Yeah, because simply not dating people who look just like you <laughs> might not be enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you all have lots of different traits in your group, I bet. Yeah. But yeah, you wouldn't be able to identify everyone in your group as a sibling or half-sibling, would you? No. No, no not it's, at all. It's yeah. something that's more apparent in retrospect, but we look different enough that I wouldn't necessarily guess on site. Yeah someone was a sibling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's something you just take for granted because they, who you grow up with, you become, you know, you you know them, but by living with them, but not necessarily by traits alone. So, right. Yeah. And what do you, I would say like, I feel less pressure to have my own kids. I, I plan on having kids someday, but I feel less pressure for them to be biological kids as a direct result of knowing that I have over 70 siblings. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and so I don't know. I think it probably increases the chances of adoption as a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly takes some of the pressure off. Yeah. It's not, we need to sow the seed. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. 
it's been pretty well sown. Mm-hmm. Definitely has. Have you, do you have any philosophical theories on, on that innate human desire to, you know, carry on to pass on their DNA? I don't, but I listened to an NPR piece recently on it and they were talking about how altruism is often born out of um, a willingness to help people who share genetic material with us. And okay. there may be some biological explanations behind altruism even that okay. we're you know, kind of bound to each other and we want to see our genetic material passed on. We do have that, that natural, I guess, urge to see our genetic material passed on. So yeah, possibly a survival instinct. Yeah. Extension of survival instincts. Mm -hmm. It goes so much higher than that. It's such higher level desire. Right. uh, Than just instincts. It starts with instincts, which are strong, but then there's something that's even more hard to explain about genetics and why we have, why some have a need and a desire to both pass it on and to know about it more or to be connected to genes. One thing that other half siblings have described is this, this feeling that they get when they're around their half siblings, like a connection that they can't describe. Like they know, they feel like they know each other or they have known each other kind of. Did you experience that? Yeah, I think it's that expansion of identity. Okay. That you, you feel a little bigger. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, dive into some Eastern traditions and, or mysticism and you start exploring the dissolution of ego and you know how maybe the self is an illusion and you can get to a point where everyone kind of feels like part of who you are but you don't have to do any major meditative work to get to the point where you feel like your siblings are kind of a part of you mm-hmm. um, that feels very natural and and then there's evidence of it on the surface you can see it you can see it in the way they move and the way they look and, and their behavior and their choices that pieces of you are reflected there um, and I think maybe tied into that desire that we have to pass on our, our genes is maybe a little fear of death. <laughs> we want to mm-hmm. be immortal in some way or another. Yeah. We want to have a legacy. We want to survive somehow. It, it has yeah. to be our, or our genes. Like something needs to last beyond yeah. our physical life. And I don't have as much pressure because I've got cousins and I've got siblings. And so at least in terms of genetic material, that's pretty taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a, your piece of immortality. <laughs> when I was trying to figure it out myself and write about it, you know, why is it important that for some know more about their genetics and understand? Why is it? Why is it even important? If you know, family, the ones that are, love us, raise us, and that's our mom and dad, and that's our family, and that's our, you know, possibly brothers and sisters, and that's enough, then why do we still have this desire? And I think parents ask that question a lot is I don't get it. Why do they, why would they, I mean, I can see maybe they might want to know what they look like, but what, but what is that innate drive? What is that innate desire? And, you know, I don't know what it is. I just know it's there. I don't know exactly why it causes it. You know, if it's wrapped up in their DNA somehow, or if it's some sort of desire to be immortal, or if it's something instinctive or desire for connection, but it's definitely very much there. People will at least think about it in their mind and the search in their mind. And then some want, want to pursue it in person. So. Yeah, probably a mix of those things. I think we can point to DNA as one of the culprits for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
it's somehow woven in the DNA and maybe it has to do, I, my theory at one point was that it's a, a tribal survival instinct. So then we would want to be connected with those who we would need to be able to identify people that looked like us. So we knew who was in our tribe. So when we were more tribal people, um, we had to know who the enemy was and who was safe in order to survive. And so if they looked like us, then they were safe. Um, but now that, you know, we don't need that anymore. We don't necessarily, we don't need to be able to recognize people to stay safe so much. And so it becomes yeah. less relevant as far as survival goes, but it, it's still there encoded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of it, there's a lot of social constructs, right? We come up with tribes like race, you know, we invented the concept of race to mm-hmm. divide us and mm-hmm. benefit one tribe over another. And some of that is not genes, you know, but we come up with these kind of crude tribes based on appearance or, or class or whatever it's going to be. Um, and that's, that's more behavioral, I guess. It could have started from a survival instinct long ago before our higher brains were formed enough to think of higher concepts. When we were lower forms, possibly, we had to use really basic stuff, what our five senses, what we see, smell, hear, taste, and um, sure. touch. And so that's, we could only use those to, to determine who was safe. And so it had to be somebody that looked like us. Of course, we would have to know what we looked like, you know, and before mirrors even. I mean, what do we do? Look in a lake? I don't know. So, but maybe there's something else to the genetic similarity that's beyond vision. That's a sense. And that's what, when I was talking about that scent, did you have a feeling when you met your half siblings that there's a connection, a chemical feeling almost like this person feels right. Uh. And that, yeah, that we would need to know that to feel safe at first a long, 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 long time ago. And now once our higher brains have formed, we don't need that anymore. I think that's hard to know because I knew that I was meeting siblings. You know, it would have been interesting if I chanced upon several siblings and didn't know that they were siblings, would I have felt something? Um, But I knew I was meeting siblings. There was a level of anticipation there when we met up. That was a social experiment right there. That was logical. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we, what we do is we I, use your sample size of siblings and then we find a new one before they know they're one. And then we introduce them to a few of you in a <laughs> random setting. <laughs> we observe the behavior. Did they, do they become friends? Do they get along? Do they like each other? Because we had this expectation we would have things in common and that there's already a link. Like we don't even have to work for it. We already have a link. And that's a little tough to describe, but I think that's basic tribalism. Like if you're in a room with people and you have a link with some of them, mm-hmm. then it feels maybe more comfortable to be at the table with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had this link already where we could you know, be sitting in the car or the bus together and, oh, well, we're, we're siblings. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that exactly. bond isn't going to be broken by a conversation. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I think that's the part that I think you start to wonder if you're that type of thinker, you know, if you think deep about these things and are trying to just suss it out and understand, you know, where these desires come from. And then to, again, to help just find your place and position in the world. And, you know, I think some people do that. Some people don't, you know, some people just, no, I don't think about it at this level. It's just, it is what it is. And and others do. And they're both right. None are wrong no person is wrong with the way they handled the information. So there's many right ways to do it. That's what makes things difficult. 
<laughs> it does. It makes things very difficult. Right it makes versus things, right. Yeah. And right it, versus wrong. Exactly. And it makes, that's what makes it hard for, harder for parents, I think, to decide what to do. Because sometimes they just want this really clear path lined out. Like if you do A, B, and C, you're going to get X, Y, and Z. And it's just not how it works. All you can do is prepare for X, yeah. Y, and Z with A, B, and C. And then we'll see what happens. You know, if you're prepared, then that's the best you can do. So, right. Cause you got conflicting values, you know, transparency is one value, but it's up against others that are also right. You know, you may have mm -hmm. your pride, you may have, um, your family name means something and there's mm -hmm. other values to consider when you're making these decisions. Yeah. That means there's multiple right answers. Yeah. Your privacy, yeah. your need for privacy, um, cultural differences around the world. You know, there may be safety issues in other parts of the world. Like I've had people reach out to me from Turkey and they're like, we absolutely can't talk about this. So yeah, it's, there's so many factors wow. to consider. Yeah. There is no one way. And people reach out from other countries and they say, you know, in our country, you know, we can't talk about it, but I know over there you can. And they're kind of, they're leaning toward talking about it though. You know, cause I think it's, it's still, in spite of the cultural differences, it's still, uni there's some universal truths about human nature. So in some cases, being transparent may have to be an activist decision an where activist you're taking decision. on some risk. So, yeah. And in some cases, a huge risk. So you may not be willing to take that risk. And that might be, you have to weigh the pros and cons and say, is it better that my, my, my family is safe and that we keep this secret? Well then yes, of course it's better for to sure. if, if for the safety. And I'm talking about countries and not, I'm not talking about the United States. You know, I'm not talking about Canada. I'm not talking yeah. about most of Europe. I mean, we're talking about countries where there's more oppressive governments. So. I mean, I'm coming from East coast USA and I can say, without a shadow of a doubt that I push for transparency. Tell your kids as early as possible, but yeah. not everyone is goes to USA. Not everyone's in the same situation. Yeah. That context yeah. is important. Well, this has been a pleasure. It's been great speaking with you. And, um, and I know this people really enjoy this episode. So. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow for more content, you can go to my Instagram and Facebook account at Jana Repnow LPC or follow Three Makes Baby on Instagram. You can get a copy of my book and the companion workbook to Three Makes Baby on Amazon. If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Have a great day.